Chicken Crest won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy. The uh, SNL years. Early years. Yeah. His <laughs> start, his beginning. Yeah, the humble beginnings. Humble, humble beginning. Uh, take yourself back to 1980. Ooh, uh, the beginning of the 80s. The beginning of the 80s, that is correct. January 25th, Black Entertainment Television is launched. Nice. Yeah. Uh, March 4th, Robert Mugambe is elected Prime Minister of Zimbabwe. It's Mugabe. Mugabe, isn't that what I said? You said Mugambe. Mugabe? It's Mugabe. I think I just m- mush mouth. You put an M in there. Oh. Just do it again. <laughs> All right. March 4th, Robert Mugabe is elected Prime Minister of Zimbabwe. Okay, a lot of attitude on that one. Yep. But yeah, he was. Yeah. And where he was president until November of uh, 2007. Prime Minister, not president. Oh, well, he was in office until 2017. Yes, he actually became a dictator. He decided he was Zimbabwe's prime minister yeah. for life and pretty much rigged every election for 40 years. Well, allegedly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's really sad because he was really, uh, he took Zimbabwe away from the, uh, he was elected because he was supporting independence. Right. And he was huge. Yeah. And then by the end of it, everyone hated him. Yeah, because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yep. He all went to his head. You yeah. know? It's like you, when people get in power, you, you see who they really are, like yeah. a friend. Eddie Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. May 29th, Vernon Jordan, business executive and civil rights leader, is shot and critically injured in an assassination attempt in Fort Wayne, Indiana, by white supremacist and serial killer Joseph Paul Franklin, who also later confessed to shooting Larry Flint. Which is in... It's not 100% that he shot him. No, he claims he did, but... Like a lot of serial killers, they're like, what did that one... Yeah. I didn't know yeah. he, uh, it was he the was same with Vernon Jordan. Yeah. Like they don't really know that he did. It was something that he was arrested for the serial killing, yeah. and then very much later he was like, "Yeah, I shot Robert Vernon Jordan." Yeah. yeah, a lot of those guys did that. They were like, "I know, Ugh. I know, I know." It's it was also a good way to stay the death penalty if you're like, "Yeah, yeah. there's a couple other people I can, I'll tell you about." <laughs> I can take you to some more fields. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. hold a few back, but yeah. Anyway, uh, but I don't, that's weird that you can't trust a serial killer. I know word. it's odd. I would think that they would be the most trustworthy, right? I don't want to live in that world, Adam. The Senate? (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right, here we go. The main reason is that this came two days before CNN launched, and it was their first major news story of covering Vernon Jordan getting shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then November 22nd, Eddie Murphy makes his debut on SNL. Uh, No dialogue for his first episode. He was just a background character. He was he a became, bit player, is what you're saying. He wasn't a, a fe- member like of the a cast. Featured player, yeah, yeah. He was background, but he was made full by episode seven uh, because he was Eddie Murphy, and there's yeah. no stopping Eddie Murphy. Uh, okay, so Murphy was born in Brooklyn. He was raised in the, the borough's Bushwick neighborhood. His mother Lillian was a telephone operator, and his father Charles Edward was a transit police officer and an amateur actor and comedian. Really? Did he do theater? Uh, no, I think he did film. He really? Did, he did TV stuff, I think, cool. for the most part. Was but he, I, he did not have, like, a career. Was he, like, an extra? Or? I assume. A bit player, yes. Uh, well, his, there's a difference between an extra and a bit player. Because well, a bit player yeah, has bit player lines, actually, usually, lines. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't mean to be a stickler. I know. I know. Uh, his father died in 1969 at the age of 29. He said about his father, My mother and father broke up when I was three, and he died when I was eight, so I have very dim memories. He was a victim of the Murphy charm. <laughs> a woman who stabbed... That's the only thing I'm going to do in my impersonation, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> a woman who stabbed my father and never got all the logistics. It was supposed to be one of those crimes of passion. If I can't have you, no one else will kind of deal. 
When Murphy's single mother became ill, the eight-year-old Murphy and his elder brother Charlie lived in foster care for one year. Ugh, foster care back in the 70s? Yikes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, while in foster care, he watched a lot of TV, <laughs> like Looney Tunes and I Love Lucy, and it honed his ability to do impressions. Oh, yeah, man. Look, Bugs Bunny was a big one to him, just like it was a big one. Like, if you look at a lot of these guys that came up in like the 70s, 80s, yeah. they got a lot of Bugs Bunny in them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's all Mel Blank. Like it's it's being able to do yeah. characters. Yeah, that guy was. Yeah, I, he is so influential. I, I know I yeah. always spew <laughs> about him, but it's just he's such an unsung hero. It bothers me. Yeah. Well, we, we will do a Mel Blank. Uh, back episode. to Eddie Murphy. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, whatever. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Later, uh, he and his brother were raised in Roosevelt, New York, on Long Island, with his mother uh, by his uh, mother and stepfather Vernon Lynch, a foreman at an ice cream plant. Oh, what a cool thing. Yeah, I know. Now, do you know, did he have a good relationship? I think he had a good yeah. relationship with his yeah, stepdad, he did. right? He did. And how cool would it be? Like, that's the kind of stepdad you want to be, baby. Because if, if there's little kids and you work at an yeah. ice cream factory, yeah. you want them over <laughs> you already. Win. <laughs> whoa, 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 mom, mom, whoa, whoa. He works for an ice cream factory? We get all the ice cream we want? It's a wonder they're not fat. You're going to marry him, right, Mom? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He hit the Jackie. Yeah, the jack he, did. Pot. he did. He did. Uh, as a child, Murphy loved Peter Sellers, leading him to hone doing multiple characters. Uh, other early influences were Bill Cosby, Red Fox, Robin Williams, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, and Charlie Chaplin. Uh, on July 9th, 1976, he performed at a talent show at the Roosevelt Youth Center doing an impersonation of singer Al Green to Let's Stay Together. Nice. Yeah. You know, it's funny, all of his influences, uh, after my dad passed, my dad was a, a radio guy, mm -hmm. and I inherited his uh, record collection. And these are a lot of demo-only, Oh yeah, you know, yeah. just sent straight to the station for play. Or, some of, or not, some you, of them still wrapped, yeah. Some of them are yeah. audition records. Yeah, of, oh, I have like crazy. a Lalo Schifrin yeah. audition oh, record, wow. which wow. is amazing. But I also found he had a ton of comedy albums, so I found... Red Fox. I found nice. Dick Gregory. I found Jonathan Winters. Uh, I found Bill Cosby. You know, yeah. say what you will. Bill Cosby's a monster, but back then he wasn't. You know, he was funny. I, I well, was just thinking, like, <laughs> yeah. like thinking about back to eighty. Bill Cosby was still America's dad, yeah. about to yeah. become America's bit, dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. but hugely popular. Uh, John Voight was sane, you know, yeah, kind of a yeah. Libby, and. Uh, 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 you could actually understand Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> also, uh, uh, James uh, Woods was, yeah. was oh, kind of a, a normal guy. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, wow. Yeah. How times have changed, baby. I know, I know. <laughs> His, uh, you know who's still cool? <laughs> Eddie Murphy. That is true. That is true. Uh, his impersonation of Al, Al Green led to other work at clubs within walking distance and then late night jobs at locations that required him to commute by train. To do this, he secretly skipped school, and after his mother discovered this at the end of his senior year, she made him attend summer school. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. You know? She Not that he needed sure, it, yeah. but good for no, her. I mean, yeah. I mean, but at the time, she didn't know where this was going to yeah. go, so it's like, you got to have an education. Yeah. Well, yeah. Stand-up comedian wasn't a really viable career back then. No. You know, no. there was a few guys on the circuit. You know, it was a very I, different, yeah. you know. I mean, especially for a young black man. Like, it's it's it would be tough. But he was kind of the uh, the granddaddy of the new. Yes. Well, yeah. I wouldn't say granddaddy, but he came up at the same time as, like, Robin Williams and, uh, you know, Ray Ramon. Like, all these guys. Yeah. Jay Leno. You know, all these. Uh, 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 Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah. 
Yeah. All these iconic comedians kind of emerged at the same time yeah. and started changing what comedy was, and that's what this guy did. Yeah, yeah. In September 1980, talent coordinator Neil Levy received a telephone call from 19-year-old Eddie Murphy, who had begged the producer to give him a shot on SNL, but was rejected since the black cast member had already been chosen. Ugh. That's so. That is so 100%... True. That is yeah, the so gross. epitome of being an African-American in I'm 1980 sorry. America. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. We already have a black one. <laughs> yeah, It's exactly. just like, it's, uh, yeah. Ugh. Uh, Eddie Murphy really wanted to be on SNL. That was a big thing. Uh, and, and rightfully so, because between 1975 and 1980, SNL was huge. Oh, my God. It was the pinnacle of any sort of sketch, comedian... Yeah. You know, that was the gold. I mean, still today. Yeah. You know, you look at yeah. everybody that's oh, yeah. auditioned yeah. and has, you know, everybody from, you know, Melissa McCarthy mm-hmm. to John Goodman, you know, everybody. have yeah. auditioned and many have not got on. But it's like that was the goal. And this was a different time before, you know, they send everybody into clubs and down to the ground right. to watch stuff. Right. right. You know, it was a, it was it was tough to get on. But apparently not super tough because the new cast was pretty, mm, yeah, <laughs> subpar. Let's just say. At the end of the 1979-1980 season, Lorne Michaels, who had been successfully helming the show for about five years, wanted to take a break. He was under the assumption that NBC would keep the show in limbo until he came back, but they didn't. Money, 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 money. Yeah. Uh, money. Lauren Michaels wanted Al Franken to take over, who was a writer for the, I think, the previous two seasons. Oh, yeah, Franken and Davis, man. Yeah. A great comedy team, a great writing team, and they Excellent. were responsible yeah. for a lot of the, some of the funniest stuff on Saturday Night Live. Like, the early stuff, 75 to 80, I was really young, so I would sneak oh, down yeah. to yeah. peak, because my to folks watch. would watch. Everybody yeah. watched it back then, all the oldies. And I 100% remember the first thing I ever saw on Saturday Night Live, and it is so vivid in my memory it was this commercial parody. Uh, you remember those Heinz commercials? Anticipation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. With you know, waiting for, yeah. wait for it to come dribbling out. Yeah. It was this, like, Perrier uh, water <laughs> commercial with this water that was, like, from this pond that was just goop. <laughs> and, and it was, like, the same. And yeah. anyways, pouring it in the yeah. drink. goes, anticipation. <laughs> but I just remember it so vividly, and I was hooked. Yeah. So, Laura Michaels wanted Al Franken to take over, but NBC exec Fred Silverman passed when Franken did a scathing rebuke of him during a weekend update commentary called A Limo for a Lamo on one of the last shows of season five. Yeah, you know, contrary to popular belief, executives don't have great sense of humor about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they do not. Uh, Fred Silverman was pissed and promoted associate producer Jean, or sorry, Jean, Jean Dumanian to head the show. I always want to say Jean, and it's not. It's. It's a woman, well. You're you're a Frenchophile, a Francophile. Frenchophile. So that's uh, a Frenchophile. That's what I call it. Yeah, French fries. <laughs> I'm a uh, Frenchophile. A Frenchophile. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Jean Dumanian was an associate producer. She was a writer for the show. Uh, NBC almost immediately cut the show's budget from a million dollars an episode to about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars per episode. Dumanian had only two months to discover and prepare a new cast and crew. They set her up to fail. Yes, it was one hundred percent. And they get, and it seems like, oh wow, how progressive! You know, they put a woman yeah, in charge. Yeah. But the crappy thing is, yeah. they put her in charge because they thought that they could manipulate her. Yeah, you know, and she would be like, oh, oh, cutting the budget almost two thirds. She will, you know, it's yeah, gross. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely yeah. gross. It really and they dumb. and and she was put in there, you know, to to fail. And, yeah, yeah, and she didn't do a bad job. No, no. Uh, I mean, she did what she could, given the best she that could. she was given almost no help and that they essentially set her up to fail. Yeah. 
despite Eddie Murphy being ignored because of his skin color, he continued to call Neil Levy, uh, wanting audition, uh, the talent coordinator Neil Levy. Levy finally auditioned him and recommended him to D- Dumanian. Dumanian, after seeing Murphy's audition, advocated for him with the network, and Murphy was cast as a featured player. He was like, all right, We'll make you the backup. I black. guess we'll have two black people. <laughs> yeah, well, Yvonne Hudson, I believe. Yvonne Hudson was really funny. Yvonne Hudson. She was really good. There was a few people in this cast that were really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the first episode renamed Saturday Night Live 80 in the opening credits. So 80s, by the way. So <laughs> 80s. It aired on November 15th in 1980, featured the all-new cast, including Charles Rocket, who they were grooming to be the new breakout star, uh. Denny Dillon. Gilbert Gottfried, uh, before he started doing his trademark voice. Yeah. No, it's weird watching him on yeah. Saturday Night Live. It is because he's, A, super freaking young. Yeah, yeah. And looks like a baby yeah. boy. And it's just him being like, hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. What's yeah. going on? Let me do some characters for you. Gail Mathias, Joe Piscopo, and Anne Risley. Risley? It's yeah. Risley, but it doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, i got to be honest. I don't know Denny Dillon, Gail Mathias, or Mathias. You or would if you saw him. Denny Dillon was kind of a short, squat, heavyset blonde woman. Uh, okay. She was kind of like a – she's one of my least favorite kind of sketch performers, which is the louder is funnier branch. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, okay. and they just gave her like, you know – hysterical screechy roles and stuff she just or like tough guy roles you know or like she was the drug you know the you know she she was fine but they just didn't give her a lot to do and yvonne hudson uh was hired as a feature player and became snl's first black female cast member yeah charles rocket uh was a not anywhere close to uh (laughs) what they wanted oh no no he was very bland and vanilla he was okay he ended up killing himself by the way did he yeah uh he committed suicide I don't know, ten years ago or so. Wow, um, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's a sad. It's a it, the the rocket the rocket ride is a sad the, ride. The, the only rocket. thing I also remember him from, which he was really good on, is I think he played Bruce Willis's brother on Moonlighting. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah, if I am correct, but I know he was on one of those shows, and he was he was he was charismatic, but he just didn't have that it factor that uh, Chevy Chase or Bill Murray had. He just yeah, you know, he was kind of like a. Mm, a less attractive, uh, the guy from Community, uh, Joel McHale. Yeah, Joel McHale. Yeah. You know, he, he he had that kind of you know, but you know, yeah, he just yeah, wasn't. That kind of it just didn't click. It didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot Gold's agreed to host the first episode of the new season, uh, contributing to the sense that the season six was doomed. In the first sketch, the cast shared a bed with Elliot Gold and introduced themselves. Yeah, I remember this. I remember this, by the way. The whole, like, everybody was just it dumbfounded, just A, that they got rid of the first cast. Yeah, yeah. And that they're putting in these, you know, all these unknowns without more uh, Michaels. And right, right. So it's just like, it was, the air was stinky. And nobody yeah. was like, oh, can't wait for the but SNL could, but 80. That's, that's just the thing is that they all knew this. Like, they knew oh, yeah. the uphill battle they had. And I... Yeah, it must have sucked because it'd be like you're there's a, 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 a let's do a sports analogy, even though I know nothing. I'm <laughs> kidding. I do. OK, let's just do a sports analogy. So, you know, it's like uh, you team won the Super Bowl, you know, with yeah. uh, Tom Brady as a quarterback. Tom Brady retires. They get the whole new team for the next year. <laughs> and then you're the new quarterback. And everybody's just like, 
Mm-mm. Who are you? Yeah, exactly. And you start losing, you know? Well, you're crap compared exactly. to him. They drafted yeah. you at a junior high. It's and, bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was It was bad. Uh, Charles Rocket proclaimed himself to be a cross between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, and Gilbert Gottfried, prior to adopting his signature screechy obnoxious voice, referred to himself as a cross between John Belushi and that guy from last year who did Ron Serling and no one can remember his name, who he was referring to was Harry Shearer. I will tell you this. Throughout all of the horrible seasons of Saturday Night Live and the good seasons of Saturday Night Live, <laughs> one thing that's been consistent is they've always had good little shorts. Even in these yeah. Oh, yeah. dog times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy made his non-speaking network television debut in a sketch called In Search of the Negro Republican. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> he did not speak, uh, but it was, it was fine. He pushed for more showtime and delivered successful Weekend Update commentary in the following episode— and his gambit worked because he was made a full cast member by episode seven. Even on that show, you're like, who's this dude? Even yeah. without him yeah. saying, you're like, who's this guy? Even, even in search of the Negro Republican, people were like, who is he? Even though he didn't have a speaking part. Eddie Murphy was so, is so, yeah. freaking cool. Yes, yes. He is possibly the coolest stand-up comedian yes. ever. Look, Richard Pryor is, is the goat. Yeah, but yeah, Richard yeah. Pryor, there's a lot of, you know, insecurity and a lot of, like, <laughs> personal whatever. But Eddie Murphy is just this cool, smooth, funny man who... who smooth. That is, yeah. A guy who, in Beverly Hills Cop, laughs at these leather outfits as he's passing by. <laughs> and then, like, a year later, he's wearing it on his special. Can't stop wearing my leather Unironically. pants. Unironically. <laughs> Unironically. You could all go do that if you're the coolest guy yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, on February 21st, 1981, uh, the show featured a parody of the Who Shot JR craze from the soap opera Dallas in a cliffhanger titled Who Shot CR, yeah. meaning Charles Rocket. Yes, I remember this. Uh, he was shot in the last sketch of the episode after a running gag in which other members of the cast shared their grievances about Rocket with one another. On stage for the good nights, Dallas star and that week's host, Charlene Tilton, Jeez. asked Rocket, still in character and sitting in a wheelchair, his thoughts on being shot. He replied, Oh, man, it's the first time I've been shot in my life. I'd like to know who the f*** did it. Okay, we had three channels, and we had a very strict uh, system of censors. Yes. You can't say that on TV. No, it was no. uh, pretty huge. Although, i got to be honest, I'm really surprised that this was the first time that someone uttered uh, a quote-unquote curse word in the live show. I mean, they went five years without having anybody slip up. It was the first cast member. There was a lot of swear words that were kind of snuck into songs. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. But, but, you know, it's like too muffled or quick for the censors to get their fingers on the button. That episode had happened, and that's part of the reason that Charles Rocket was like, but he said it, why can't I? Shut (laughs) up. You're not (laughs) Prince Charles Rocket, and you never will be. Yes. Uh, the cast, along with some Rest of the audience, yeah, <laughs> the cast, along with some of the audience, reacted with laughter and applause. But inside the control room, there was no laughter. Then NBC censor Bill Clotworthy buried his head in his hands, and director Dave Wilson, knowing that the show was finished for good, simply threw his script papers in the air and said, "Well, that's the end of live television," and walked out of the room. According to talent coordinator Neil Levy, Dumaney herself was so livid by the incident that she was ready to jump up to the monitors and tear the video cables in half with her teeth. That sounds like hyperbolic to me. Unless she was like a a, a chewer, a biter. She was a crazy hysterical woman, Jim. (laughs) She she did a lot of biting. 
And she did. Uh, she was known to do a lot of biting when that she was That was actually upset. her autobiography was My Life with Bite. I thought it was Bite Like Me. Bite Like the, Me. <laughs> <laughs> the Dominion story Just or whatever. one more bite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according... Oh, no. Stand back, I bite! <laughs> Uh, Rocket later unsuccessfully tried to justify his actions to the episode's musical guest Prince blurted out the word during performance of his song Party Up, but he ended up saying it so incoherently that the censors could not spot it. Uh, as <laughs> He just said it flat out. I, yeah. Like, what is he? It must have been cocaine, man. Must have been I, the hubris of cocaine. Yeah. He was excited. Uh, uh-uh. It's the hubris <laughs> of cocaine, baby. As a semi-joke on the following week's episode, hosted by Bill Murray, Murray snubbed Rocket for his behavior the previous week and told him to... Watch his mouth and clean it up. The episode after Bill Murray hosted was scheduled for March 14th, 1981, which would have been hosted by Robert Guillaume. Guillaume? Am I yep, saying that Robert right? Guillaume Thank from you. Benson, baby. There we go, Benson, yeah. And Soap. I always... And Soap. Benson I literally... Every time I see Robert Guillaume, I read it. I have to repeat it in my head like eight times. I'm, like, I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> oh, he's awesome, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and it had Ian Drury and the Blockheads as a musical guest, but it was canceled. Oh, no. Yeah. The cast and writers were unaware that Brandon Tartikoff, the head of programming for NBC, invited Dick Ebersol, the original developer of SNL, to watch the show in secrecy in the control booth and was totally in despair over how the quality of the show sank. It's but look, man, it was garbage. Yeah, the show was garbage. It was just not good. The show was garbage after Eddie Murphy was on too. But he, it was watchable because of him. Yes, the writing was so bad. Yeah, it was not good. Anybody who wrote for that show, if you're listening, shame on you. (laughs) Uh, In fact, it was so bad. That SNL had been overtaking the ratings by ABC's ripoff show Fridays. Yes. Uh, Michael Richards was on Fridays. Okay. And uh, that's what led to his job on Seinfeld. It's funny because I've been watching Cheers and Night Court, mm-hmm. and uh, he has bit parts in both of them. Oh, yeah. And the, 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 the one in Night Court's great because he's convinced he's invisible, and it is literally <laughs> Kramer. It is well, just he, Kramer. He played a lot of, like, just off the wall complete like if you ever saw yeah. um UHF he's he's oh, the big he's star in that fantastic in unreal that. that guy is we got to do a show about him but the best the best is in cheers is the episode and the episode is just so off the wall where apparently when Sam had relapsed into drinking oh. he made a bet with Michael Richards that if he didn't marry Jacqueline Bissett by a certain date he was going to lose his bar to Michael Richards oh really i and, don't remember that what oh season was that oh my god the episode is season 3 i believe but the episode was so good because it, the whole plot made no sense and they end up finding like a another person named Jacqueline Bissett and then like <laughs> ma- hit, and he wants to marry her and That's then oh it was the, just it was ridiculous that plot has been so <laughs> recycled but uh I just started rewatching Cheers and yeah. good lord that's so a good, good. show so oh my good. god so like good. that's another one right out of the gate yeah, 100% right out of the it's gate crazy. was what it was uh, unlike Saturday Night Live <laughs> 80, which right out of the gate was, was a steaming tube. Falled in the toilet, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ebersole was actually hired. He actually hired Lorne Michaels in 1975 and was now given the task of trying to reclaim the uh, luster of the show. Yeah, good luck. And keeping it from getting canceled completely. Uh, in his first week, Ebersole fired Gilbert Gottfried, uh, Risley, and Charles Rocket, replacing them with Robin Duke, Tim Kazarinsky, and Tony Rosato. Now, I remember Robin Duke. She was kind of a... Robin Duke was really funny. Yeah. She ended up being really good with, I think... Uh... Oh, God, I can't remember her name. But she was funny. Um, Tim Kazarinsky was really f- great at 
Hey, guys, that were really Oh, uh, the kind of nip, yeah. nip yeah. He did this, n- not sniglets. Was nebbish, it sn- nebbish? Yeah, he was just, more not, not so much of a nebbish, but just like that little white guy that's just kind of like, excuse always, me, always, excuse yeah. me, please, you know. He was great at that. He was hilarious. <laughs> uh, at the end of the season, uh, Dick Ebersol would eliminate the rest of the 1980 cast except for Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. Yeah, because they were the only funny guys. That's true. Uh, Ebersol originally wanted to bring in John Candy and Catherine O'Hara from SCTV. Uh, John Candy turned down the offer and Rosato joined instead. Uh, Catherine O'Hara actually initially accepted the job, but changed her mind after a production meeting where Michael O'Donohue, the original head writer for SNL, who had been rehired to save the show, he actually left at the end of the 78 season, he screamed at the cast and writers for the show's poor performances and sketches, and Catherine O'Hara quit. Yeah, I would too, because she's like, excuse me, yeah. I just got here. Yeah, it's like, none of that was mine. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Why don't you call up the a-holes you just fired and scream at them? Yeah, Michael O'Donoghue apparently was very well known for being incredibly angry all the time. Yes, incredibly funny. Yeah. Incredibly yes. funny. Amazing writer. But, Amazing uh, writer, but yeah. not a very nice person. No, oh, and that uh, I just that always just rankles me. Most of them were cowering. Most of the uh, the the cast members were uh, cowering in their seats in fear. But Michael O'Donoghue was shocked and impressed that Eddie Murphy did not even flinch once during his explosive rant. Because that's what a bully does. You know, a bully's looking for a reaction, and if yeah. he doesn't, there's like a begrudging respect for the guy that won't be bullied. I've worked for enough bullies yeah. and was raised yeah. by a bully to know how it works. But Eddie Murphy is the epitome of the water off the duck's back. He just takes it and goes, whatever. He's The MF is too don't cool care. for school, baby. Yeah, it's care. like, I don't need this, man. He knows from <laughs> then. Look, he knew. Yeah. You know? He, the guy's smart. Oh, yeah. He knew. Yeah. It's just like a matter of time. And he was smart. He plotted it out. He wasn't a moron that like he, left right away. He just had to get his know? foot in the door. And he but knew. he stayed to hone it, man. Yeah, he didn't course, just like jump in and jump out because he could have. No, but he, he stayed for a few years. He knew yeah. he was gonna have to do characters mm-hmm. and do right every single week, and it would force him to get better at his craft. And it would ingratiate him to a captive audience, exactly, where exactly. it would launch him into his career. The guy was he brilliant. was planning and plotting yeah. at nineteen, yeah, eighteen. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. It's just he's so impressive. Yeah. Uh, Ebersol's first show aired April 11th in 1981 with appearances by Chevy Chase on Weekend Update and Al Franken asking viewers to, quote-unquote, put SNL to sleep. Yeah, they did a lot of these weird things where they did, like, phone-in polls and stuff. It was odd. It was just odd. Uh, Ebersol wanting to establish a connection to the original cast allowed Franken's mock series routine on the air. Uh, Ebersol had promised Al Franken and Tom Davis that in addition to appearing on the April 11th show, they could host the next week. Which is odd because even though they were very well known to the SNL fans and stuff, they weren't yeah. very famous. Or, no, you know, it wasn't no. Like that. I mean, they were SNL people. They had <laughs> like the Franken and Davis show, but that yeah. was on SNL. Yes. yes. Yeah. It just it seemed odd. I, I think Dick Eversall was just trying everything. Well, like, they, I mean, they were the, the Franken and Davis uh, skits. The, the Franken and Davis sketches are parts of SNL. Were really popular and extremely funny. Yeah, Those guys yeah. are great together. Oh, Al Franken's yeah. fantastic. It's Tom I, Davis too. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, they, he doesn't get as much credit because he didn't go into the Senate. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they those guys were geniuses. So, dur- oh yeah, yeah, totally. During the following week, with a writer's strike looming, Franken and Davis wrote material and mailed it to themselves so that their postmark could be used to prove they did not violate the strike. Nice. Yeah, smart move. Smart move. After seeing copies of the material, Ebersol, who was never a fan of Franken and Davis's, caved to the writer's strike and called off the rest of the season, promising the duo they could host the season premiere that fall. As the summer ended, Ebersol, confident in his new cast, decided he no longer needed a link to the original cast. 
So he essentially ghosted Al Franken and Tom Davis. Yeah, because you know why? Because they were they were edgy because they yeah. effed with the the money. And yeah, they effed yeah. with the uppers, you they know, were, and they didn't care. Yes. Yeah, they, they were, were they would poke fun at the guys who paid their bills and they didn't care. They're uh, crazy pot smoking hippie national lampoon holdovers from the sixties, yeah. baby. I yeah, mean yeah, totally. you know, those guys they're not gonna play game. They're gonna <laughs> play ball with you, Ebisol. Franken would not return to SNL until almost four years later as a featured cast member, um, which is part of the reason that I know him, is yeah. because I, he was on during the 80s mm-hmm. when I when I watched uh, started watching SNL. Yep. By fall 1981, Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy were the only performers from Dumanian's cast to appear in SNL for season seven. Yeah. Piscopo was popular, renowned for his Frank Sinatra impersonation, as well as his characters Polly Herman and, with Robin Duke, Doug and Wendy Weiner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone and my mother my mother and stepfather did the Doug and Wendy Weiner impersonation <laughs> we're Doug and Wendy Weiner uh, oh, why is everything so hard it was five minutes of bad. shrill <laughs> whining and then the rest of the week of everyone you know being yeah, I wanted to kill them. Literally just two seconds of you doing it was enough for me. It was the worst, man. <laughs> it was one of the worst parts of the 80s. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm uh, comparing yeah. it to the hostage crisis, baby. It was worse than that. <laughs> um, Eddie Murphy became a breakout star under Ebersol, and his soaring popularity helped restore the show's ratings. And, and obviously, I, I mean, I put this at the end of the script, but if it wasn't for Eddie Murphy, SNL would have been canceled. Oh, 100%. And Piscopo was good. Piscopo sure. was funny. Sure. He was still a skinny, spindly weirdo. <laughs> and he still was more concerned with comedy than steroids. But he, uh, we were talking about this because we watched the Dion, one of the, yeah. one of the Dion sketches. What's, yeah. What was the, it was Dion and. Uh... I don't remember his name. Exactly. See? I, it's, yeah. So it was, Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy used to do these uh, gay hairdresser characters, Dion and Leon, I don't Joe know. Joe Piscopo. Yeah. <laughs> Dion and Joe Piscopo's <laughs> cringy, stereotypical BS. But. You would watch Joe Piscopo, and he didn't have the confidence to commit to being a gay character. There was no, a lot of no, there was a lot of wrist flippy, a lot of oh, a and lot he would, of he would lose the character. Yeah, because like, he couldn't commit. Because you know it was uh, nobody's gonna believe I'm gay. Uh, I, there's so many actors I know that were like I'd love to play a gay character, but nobody would believe it. I mean, like really? You're admitting you're a bad yeah, actor? Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, you're just saying you're not good enough. All right, good job, Eddie Murphy embodied that character it watching him do it there was no it wasn't stereotypical he was that character you know yeah yeah, no it he lived and breathed that character every character he went into his characters weren't caricatures no they had stereotypical qualities look i'm not going to say that he was 100 percent, you know woke or whatever you want to say it but for the time he was not he was so cool smooth and confident that he didn't worry about playing a gay character or, or you know, yeah. doing anything that would, you know, quote unquote, hurt his masculinity. Right, right. Because he didn't care. He was just too cool, baby. And too talented. Yeah, yeah. I, he didn't imitate the character. He was the character. That's why and, Piscopo is gone and Murphy yeah. is still super popular because Pix- Piscopo never committed, man. No, he was always no, a caricature no. in everything he did, really. It, it's really funny because I've been I've been rewatching, not rewatching, but watching. It's not one hundred percent fair. He did a really good Sinatra. Sure, sure. No, no, no Joe Pesco wasn't bad. No, but, but I mean, compared to just we're comparing like, yeah, Hall of Fame 
you know, it's like comparing Michael Jordan to, you know, uh, Muggsy Bogues. You know, yeah, they're both yeah. good players, but Muggsy was never. Yeah, he wasn't on that level. Yeah. <laughs> all. There's a difference it, between authentic and stereotypical. Exactly. And and that is what Eddie Murphy was so good at. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. So uh, some of his other characters he created, uh, the intensely popular Buckwheat. <laughs> Otay. Otay. The grown-up version of the Little Rascals character, hugely popular, uh, although not everyone loved it. Oh, my God. He was so incredible. Like, Eddie Murphy's character, it would be like, because this is kind of when I came up. This was when Saturday Night Live started to make real sense to me. Like, I could watch the old stuff and... And, you know, oh, that's John Belushi is the Incredible Hulk, but I didn't get the subtext or whatever. Like, one of those funny cigarettes they're smoking. But I was, you know, I was making jokes with my friends. I was a funny guy by that point, and I had a sense of humor. And this was kind of when I started embracing, you know, my buddy, uh, laser shoot, laser shoot Larry, laser tag Larry. You know, he'd come over and we'd have. Spend the nights, you know, we'd have yeah, sleepovers and we'd, you know, or eat pizza and, and we'd stay up late and watch Saturday Night Live. And it was yeah. just like, you know, it that was when I started like, ooh, you know, it's like yeah, it's it was really... it was kind of like being in a club, I right, guess. Right, and and right. this was my my real introduction to the club. Like I would get to visit the club occasionally back in the old days. But now <laughs> it's like, here's your key, baby. So not everyone loved the character, uh, George McFarland, who played Spanky in Little Rascals who was friends with Billy Thomas, who originally played Buckwheat, made it clear that he hated Murphy's imitations. He said, I didn't care for them a bit. Mr. Murphy did a very poor imitation. He made Buckwheat into a stereotype that he wasn't, at the expense of the people and his family who were still alive. Yeah, he, and it's funny, the funny thing is that Billy Thomas never said anything about it. Like, he, he didn't, he passed in like 94, but like, he never went on record about, about Eddie Murphy doing his buckwheat. Really? But George McFarlane was, whoa, God, all over the place about it. Well, Spanky McFarlane, <laughs> who is like one of the cutest kids yeah, ever yeah. in the world, and one of the greatest little child actors. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's hard to find because of the, a lot of the problematic issues with the R gang. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he was just a little man. Yeah. And... I get it, man. I mean, it's you. Yeah, I mean that's it's his cherished childhood. It's his thing. I get being angry about it. I do, I don't. I think the way he played Buckwheat, uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. He liked the character. Yeah, the character had a horrible speech impediment, and <laughs> but he wasn't. He came across as kind of dumb, but he wasn't dumb. Right. You know, right. he just didn't really know how to express himself. <laughs> I don't know. I think you know. The reason why his characters are so big is because he loved them and he imbued them in a way that other people didn't. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can get so upset because he did such a good job. This is not an impersonation of the actor that played Buckwheat. Right, right. This is an exaggerated impersonation of the character Buckwheat, which was a pretty racist little character. Yes, yes. You know, not the guy. You know what I'm saying. Yes. (laughs) That was Buckwheat in my mouth. Buckwheat was so racist. Why was he so racist? That character, that actor. Um... So after Murphy grew very tired of constant demands from fans to do buckwheat, do, do buckwheat. buckwheat, yo, yo, Eddie, yo, Eddie, do buckwheat, do buckwheat. <laughs> uh, the buckwheat character was retired in spectacular fashion. One of yeah, the greatest. I personally think is the greatest short film that SNL has ever produced. Oh, yeah. uh, and granted, it wasn't a, a short film because it was done in chunks. It was a running for, gag, for the course of two yeah. shows. But buckwheat was assassinated on camera in front of thirty Rockefeller Plaza, a la. Ronald it was Reagan exactly like shots. Ronald Reagan. Yes. Yeah, it was exactly the same. It, it was the same shot of Reagan coming out, 
that we all had to watch a billion <laughs> times him raising his arm and being like, hey, how you guys doing? Oh, bang, bang, like, bang. Oh, what's going yeah. on? I got shot in the armpit. Um, I get shot in the armpit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who am I? Uh, but it was it was spectacular. And, and the fact yeah. that they did it through two shows yeah. Yeah. was genius. I mean, it was like, because was the whole thing was like, breaking news. It was like, yeah. it was a cross between the assassination of Ronald Reagan mixed with who shot JR in a much more intriguing way than who shot stupid Charles rocket. Yes. May yes. rest in peace. Yes. <laughs> uh, Buckwheat dead. America mourns the death of Buckwheat was a runner that lasted through the March 19th, 1983 episode into the following week, taking the form of news bulletins hosted as Joe Piscopo. Was the Irish Ted yeah. Buckwheat and, and is great. dead. I remember that. You, yeah. Buckwheat <laughs> is dead. <laughs> if you can you can see it on YouTube, you can watch they're all together and, and it goes it's like seven and a half minutes long, but it, it culminates in the death of John David Stutz, who most definitely killed Buckwheat <laughs> as he said to everyone every single time they asked him. Uh but then John David Stutz got murdered in the style of Lee Harvey Oswald's getting shot and then eventually it was the death of a murderer. And like, so it was, insane. It was just so... It, it was, just kept piling on and piling on, and it was so brilliant. The second one was on my birthday. And I remember <laughs> having my... You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, Laser Tag Larry was over, and you know we did all whatever birthday stuff, and I remember us watching this episode. Because we had, you had to come back and see like what happens to Scott. It was Scott. so brilliant. It is so well done, yeah. Highly recommend. Uh, I will be posting a link to it. Uh, like I said, all of pretty much... All of the pre-recorded or short film stuff yeah. on SNL has just been bonkers. It's yeah. been so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, he also did a, the character of Gumby, uh, which was a life-size version of the Gumby toy character. I'm Gumby, damn it! Yeah. <laughs> the best. The best part is that he's he's very. I hadn't seen this in a long time, but he very much was channeling Prince Hakim from Coming to America in his accent that he was doing for Gumby, the life story of Gumby, where he has somebody playing him and yeah. he's trying it, to be the hero. It's so brilliant. Gumby was pretty much a Jackie Mason impersonation yeah. as Gumby, which was brilliant. It's like, you know, Gumby, if, if you people know who Gumby and Pokey are, they had this, they're these claymation, I don't know what Gumby is, some whoosh He's weird like thing. a piece of clay. Yeah, and it's then not, Pokey's kind of a horse. He's a, yeah. And they're lovers. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but it was a very popular little claymation thing. And it was very happy and peppy. And Gumby was a very happy little guy. So him playing Gumby is like this disgruntled old man. That was the beauty of Murphy is he found a way into characters that some of them had a lot of depth, like Gumby or uh, Buckwheat. Yeah. Yeah. And he would do stuff like James Brown, which he would just find a hook. Yeah. Ooh, do I, it was one joke <laughs> that was so funny and so just yeah, burnt yeah, to the ground. But that yeah. was like he couldn't keep coming back and doing the same joke. But, but they made they the the beauty of that is that and this is this is the problem with with SNL and why it got bad for a while mm -hmm. and, and even during the nineties and whatever, they would see this and, and they would do a, a a character that was one joke. Yeah. And they would have it last eight minutes, and it would be one joke over and over again, but none of them had the celebrity and the charm that Eddie Murphy had. Right. But Eddie Murphy also was smart in that none of these James Browns, the James Brown stuff, was no longer than two minutes. Oh, no. It was always short. Yeah. It was to the point, and he didn't beat it to death. But he would do the longer form sketches, like Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Yes, yes. Which, uh, around this time is when... 
uh, Laser Tag Larry and I started making our own Saturday Night nice, Lives. Nice, nice. And my ripoff of uh, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, which was a rip ripoff of Mr. Mr. Rogers' Rogers Neighborhood, was Uncle Purvy's Neighborhood. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's This is how big this was to me, is we were making our own versions of this stuff. Right. You'd watch Saturday Night Live, you'd see Eddie Murphy just be brilliant, and then it would inspire you to do your own thing. You know, I was never inspired by Denny Dillon or Tim Kazarinski, but you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yep. I would agree with that. I never ripped off the Sniglets character. Uh, yeah, so Mr. Robertson, actually the first appearance was in the same episode where Charles Rocket swore at the end. Yeah. Uh, the Who Shot CR episode. Uh, instead of teaching kids about manners and kindness, Mr. Robinson schools his viewers on the harsh realities of getting by in the inner city. Like Hi, children. Drug deals and theft and unpaid bills and the ever-present threat of violence. The best was like, someone's at the door, children. And he'd look around and be like, who is it? <laughs> It was great. I, it's it's it was fun. It went on. All of I, these Robinson went on forever. All of these are on YouTube. All of these. Yes, find vintage, vintage, vintage. Um, he did a really good impersonation of Stevie Wonder. Oh yeah. Uh, which was really funny when Stevie Wonder eventually came on and was a musical guest. Yeah. And uh, that's where that's also they did the uh, the 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 gay characters with Stevie. Wonder. That was they they they. Yeah, Stevie Wonder came in and to get a hair, to get a haircut, to get yeah. his his braids redone or whatever. Yes, tighten his braids, tighten his braids, and and Joe Piscopo just passes out. Ooh. And, Ooh. That's all he did. And it didn't. And it was funny because that literally it was just to see the reaction to Stevie Wonder because he goes in, they talk for a bit, and then he leaves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it. And then Eddie Murphy comes out and kills it. <laughs> yeah, kills oh, yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but that's where you can really see the difference of the two guys. Like we were talking yes, about with yes. the confidence of. You yeah, know, it, it, just knowing that you're cool and that you're the best at what you do versus an insecure dude who ended up needing to roid himself up like the Incredible Hulk because everyone might think he's gay. Yeah, I know. Joe, yeah, Joe Piscopo did something really odd to himself. With the exception of the greatest of all time, Carrot Top, <laughs> no comedian who's got all buffed out has become any funnier. It's. A lot less funny. I think muscles suck the funny out of your brain. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, another character that Eddie Murphy did was Velvet Jones. Oh, uh, Velvet Jones. In the span of three months, Velvet Jones was on SNL four times. Uh, he essentially was just doing a funny voice and alluding to prostitution. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he, he did in 1981. In 82, 82, the character was retired. In 83, they brought him back to sell a porno tape masquerade as an exercise video. Um, and it literally was essentially just Eddie Murphy in a wig. And... And him talking. <laughs> like oh, it yeah. Was, it was not even really well, a that's character. that's the thing. Eddie Murphy, I, I honestly think that there were times when in dress, they're like, this sketch doesn't work. We need an extra three minutes. Yeah. Put a wig on Murphy. Do a character. Yeah. Whatever you want to yeah. do. Um, one of the greatest little short films we got to talk about is White Like Me. Yes. Yes. I was just getting to that. Um. Uh, White Like Me, which uh, debuted in December of nineteen four, it's one of the last things he did. Yeah, uh, he he essentially becomes white. Uh, <laughs> they make him white. I don't even know how else to describe it. <laughs> it is hilarious because he's like doing the research. You know, he's as they're doing the makeup. He's like, okay, it looks like uh, you know white people. Have a, looks like they have a stick up their butt when they their butt cheeks are really clenched when they walk. I have to remember to clench my cheeks. And then you watch him walk as a white person after he gets all. It's just so hilarious. And I'm sure, yeah. like, you know, even racists probably 
laughed at it, even I, though they were being made fun of. But it was just uh, go ahead. It was it was uh, he was given newspapers for free. <laughs> the, the newspaper guy was like, "No, nah, just take it. You don't have to give me money." The great yeah. idiot. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm buying this newspaper. Nobody's here. It is a paper. Just take it. And look on his face, like, what? are you trying to you trick trap me? me. It's very Bugs Bunny. And uh, he's commuting on a bus, and as soon as the last minority leaves, they have a, a party. <laughs> yeah, woman starts passing out champagne, gets on his lap, so and then people bizarre. dancing in the aisles. Uh, and his uh, his boss treats him like an old country club chum. He he gets a loan. Uh, they they at first well, aren't going to give him a loan. Well, that, that's because uh, this is the brilliance of it too. He's at a uh, at a bank trying to get a loan, and the loan officer is black. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're trying to tell me that you have no collateral, <laughs> no identification, no anything, and you want $50,000? Yes. <laughs> Mister, we are not a, you know, we're yeah, not a charity. Yeah. And, and then the white guy hears it, and he's like, why don't you go take your break? <laughs> like, what do you need? Pay it back. Yeah, or don't. Fun. We don't care. Just How much do you need? <laughs> I can do this at all the other banks, too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Highly recommend uh, seeing it. it. It was interesting because Eddie Murphy. I well, the best part you you oh, got to go the ending, where uh, he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I got a lot of friends. <laughs> I got a lot of makeup, yes. and it's just like he's just painting everybody. You know, he's just everybody's everybody turning everybody white. white. And it's just such a great commentary at the time. So with the release of the film 48 Hours, which we'll be covering next week, uh, Murphy's star began to eclipse the other cast members. Uh, Murphy's co-star in the film, Nick Nolte, was scheduled to host the show that December, but canceled the last minute due to illness. I'm not feeling too good. <laughs> Dick Ebersole offered Murphy the chance to host... A move that Joe Piscopo would perceive as a major slight. Because he's a super insecure little turd. Yeah, and, and Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo were close. Yeah, like, they, they were good were, friends. They were good friends. They um, were like, they, you know, they were the the friendship goals of the 80s, you know, because yeah. they, yeah. they also had a really good chemistry together. Mm-hmm. You know, Murphy elevated Piscopo. Yeah. yeah. Piscopo was good. Piscopo, like yeah. I said, his uh, he's got an, a very iconic old blue eyes. Yeah, Thanks yeah. Sinatra. Yeah. But also, when you see them together, he gets past the ball, but Eddie Murphy's <laughs> going to go to the hoop, you know? Right, right, like... exactly, exactly. Uh, Murphy played into this by changing the usual live from New York, it's Saturday night, to live from New York, it's the Eddie Murphy show! Which is fun and funny. <laughs> you know, you play to the hubris. You know, it's like, yeah, I remember watching this show. Yeah. And it was, this, honestly, was when I knew, okay, he's... He's going to be huge. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. this guy's leaving the show, and when he does, it's just, it's going to be a cannon. I, he's given the opportunity, and Eddie Murphy ran with it every time. And I remember seeing 48 Hours with Larry in the theater and just being like, Yep. Okay. Yeah, this is my favorite actor in the world ever. It. Yep. You know, he was, Eddie Murphy was such a huge influence on me and such a huge part of my formative years. That, you know, I, I had his album that I just, I had on cassette that I had on my Walkman 24-7. <laughs> boogie in your butt, 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 boogie in your butt, butt. Um, I couldn't get enough of that guy. He was just, anytime, I saw Best Defense, man. Yeah, yeah. I saw Best Defense. <laughs> Uh, Piscopo would later claim that uh, Ebersole used Murphy's success to divide the two friends and play them against one another. Uh, they, it definitely changed their relationship. Oh, yeah. And it was, it's, it's sad because they were really close. And... But it's also jealousy, you yeah, know? Yeah, Eddie Murphy yeah. was always going to be a huge star. Joe Piscopo yeah. 
you know, he had his moments in what was that? Johnny Dangerously. In Johnny Dangerously. You know, but that was like that's his. That was he when was he was on his way out. He was that, fine. Yeah. yeah, he was funny in it, but it's but yeah. It was, but his insecurity got him. Yeah, you know, and he wanted to be. He didn't want to be a spindly comedian anymore. He wanted to try to be some jacked up yeah, action he hero, and it's just change his look and uh, look, buddy. And I, I say this with all <laughs> sincerity and all uh, self uh, reflection, knowing about my own self. You do not have the face of a movie star. <laughs> you got the body of Rambo, yeah. but you got the face of Don Rickles. It's <laughs> true. Uh, Trading Places was released in 83 and was an even oh. bigger success than 48 Hours. I saw that movie so many times in the theater. Yeah. Oh, my God. That movie was so funny. We'll be covering that in two weeks. Uh, in February 1984, Eddie Murphy left the show. His appearances for the remainder of the season consisted of sketches he had pre-taped in September of 1983. Uh, Murphy's stand-up TV special for HBO, Delirious, was a huge success. I ran out two videotapes. Wow. From that. Watching that? Yeah. I had to I, I had to get another one from a friend. I had to make a dupe because I, I watched that so many times. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't, I never saw, in the day, I never saw Delirious. Uh, I was a little young, but it also was on HBO, which I did not have. Yeah. Um, but I did see Raw, which they released in the theater because Delirious was so popular. Oh, yeah. was so amazingly popular. But um, Raw came out in what, 80, 87, I think. Was it? 85 or 87, I don't remember. I think it was 85 because was I, 85. I saw the um, Something Dangerous tour. That was later. Yeah. Uh, it was around was 87 called? because yeah. I saw it. I think you're right. Yeah. Because I saw that when I was still in high school. And that, man, Larry and I went. I'm the best <laughs> bud. We need to get him on the show. But uh, we went. The Weather Girls oh, opened. Yeah. Yeah. It's raining, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who knew they had more songs than, than that? Yeah. But they do. Yeah. And they were so energetic and so much fun. Then he comes out, man, and I, I've been lucky enough because I was a huge comedy nerd as a kid. Yeah. I started doing stand-up at like 15, mm-hmm. you know. I wasn't very good at it, but I hit the <laughs> SD Comedy Store and got brutalized. I just loved it. I wanted That's what I wanted to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he I, – I, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to see a lot of the greats, uh, but he by far – was the best. He is the greatest of all time. From the minute he came yeah. on stage to the minute he left, we were all dying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dying, you know? Ah. Murphy appeared in Best Defense, Jim's favorite movie of all time, oh, uh, co-starring Dudley Moore. Uh, this is this is one of the, the first times that I can recall where they literally just added somebody in oh, because yeah. he was so popular. Yes. And this was, the sad, sad thing about this was this was, Dudley Moore was huge. Yeah. With... Yeah. With uh, Arthur and Ten and <laughs> there's just this little tiny English drunk. <laughs> there was a period of a tiny little English drunk that stole all of our hearts. <laughs> but this was kind of his, yeah. the ending of his career and the beginning of Murphy's right. and this movie. Right. There's never been more of a, of a it, it, don't watch it. It's not yeah, worth watching because not, of this. No. But there's never been more of a passing of the torch <laughs> from one to the other than best defense uh yeah murphy was credited as a strategic guest star and was added to the film after the original version strategically was to get asses in the seats but the the movie had tested poorly with audiences so they had him in uh it was a major financial and critical disappointment into the point where 
uh, Murphy actually joined in to the chorus of those bashing the movie, calling it the worst movie in the history of everything. <laughs> well, he's not mm, not everything, but the worst movie in the yes. history of Murphy. And uh, and he's made some stinks. Yeah, oh, he has. As he got older, he, he the quality went down a little bit. But uh, but you know. He's come back recently. Yeah. Dolomites by name was super fun and he was really great in it. Yeah. And I yeah. really enjoyed the the Coming to America the sequel. sequel. Yeah. It was yeah. really fun to see everybody come back. Yeah. It wasn't as yeah. good as the original, but it was still fun. Yeah. And Trevor yeah. Noah was in it, one of my faves. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to see him coming back. It's funny because there's such a outcry for him to to do stand up again. Mm-hmm. And he keeps saying, Oh yeah, I'm working on something. I'm gonna come back. You know, he was on the comedians and cars. With yeah. uh, Seinfeld, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I think I might come back. And, and all the comedians are like, oh, man, you got to come back. There's no upside for him to come no, back. No, I don't think he's going to do it. And I, I only say this because there is no upside. I don't think he's going to be he, – he doesn't have that hunger that he had as a yeah. kid. Still got the talent. Sure, he's still, sure. You know, I'm not saying that he couldn't do it, and I hope he does more than anything because I don't think he's going to come out yeah. and be bad. But it's just if I were him – I'd be kind of scared, Estless. Yeah, yeah, to get back on stage. You know, he was he was planning. There was in 2019 he was planning because there was a documentary that was being made about him coming back and doing stand up, and then, and then I think COVID happened. And right, it all went down the toilet, yeah. and that was it. But I but I think you're right. I think at this point he's kind of like, eh, why? He's you know? 60. He's the goat. You know, yeah. he's got nothing to prove to anybody. Yeah, he's given us hundreds of hours of entertainment and he's done his bit when he was on comedians in cars with getting coffee or whatever with Seinfeld I was hoping because Seinfeld kind of did the same thing he was away from it for a while he came back and he did it and he loved it and he's like I have to but Seinfeld always was going to come back I know Seinfeld the reason why he took time off is because he completely retired his act and had to come up with something brand new right right where you know Murphy Got soft. I mean, let's just, I, yeah, look, I'm not yeah. saying it is a bad thing. The guy's got like a, 10 kids to take care of. Yeah. You know, he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on outside of this. You know, it's like he doesn't owe us a damn thing. No. And he did. I mean, he did really good movies. He did some bad movies, but it's really good yeah. movies. And like, yeah, even the bads are watchable. Yes. Because it's Eddie Murphy. I've yes. seen them. I've seen them all. I've seen a yeah. uh, hundred words or whatever that. Awful movie thousand, was it? I think it was thousand, thousand words. words. I've seen Norbit. I've seen that <laughs> robot one. When was the one where he's the robot? Uh, oh, with the um, Pluto Nash. Pluto Nash. No, was that Pluto Nash? Where he's the giant head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was Pluto Nash. No, I think Pluto Nash is a different one. It was uh, another. Oh my weird god, movie. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> but here's that's the yeah. the the point is I will watch anything that he does because he's Eddie Murphy. Yeah, you know, just yeah. like Harrison Ford, I will watch because. Those are probably my two favorite guys. Yeah. Harrison yeah. Ford and Eddie Murphy. I'm not saying they're the best actors in the world. I'm not saying they're my favorite guys. Those right. are the guys that right. I loved growing sure, up. Sure, that, sure, that, sure. That made me love film, that made me love comedy, that made me love sketch. And I'm loyal. I will always, yeah. you know, I mean, I like it, but I will lump <laughs> it. So uh, we'll be back next week with uh, 48 Hours. Yeah, I'm convict. excited to jump into this. Oh, I'm, I'm excited gonna... for Jim's Nick Nolte impersonation. Uh, I spoke like three cartons of cigarettes before <laughs> that oh, next man. show to get going. Uh, but I'm excited about I, I I have not seen 48 Hours in a long time, so I'm really excited to jump into it. It's and... awesome. It's going to be super fun. Yeah, hit YouTube up to watch a bunch of Murphy clips. Just, you know, search Murphy SNL and... 
and there's some great stuff in there. And there's also some great stuff from when he hosted recently. Yes. Like he yes, did this. Really uh, yeah. He did a great bit where he was an elf who witnessed something <laughs> uh, hilarious. Shows that he still got it. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. give yourself a treat. Give a little old Murphy. And uh, we'll have more Murphy for you go. next week because it's for the love of Murphy Month. Yeah, go visit our social media. I'm going to be posting links all week to his his great SNL stuff. Yes. So go back to our social media and look at it. I just want to say one last thing. I know I'm always like, one more thing. I'm, I'm Columbo, basically. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing, Adam. Just one yeah. more thing. Uh, in our stepdad show, in our 50th show, we forgot to mention our buddy Terry Bruce Herring. Oh, second, Terry, yes. Who created our logos and did such an amazing job of capturing our show and who we are. Yes. And uh, we just, I just wanted to give him a, an, 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 a thank you again. And yeah. we love you, buddy. And a, a plug. If you need any sort of designs, go to www.tbh2-designs.com. And he's also an amazing photographer. And if you need any photography needs, go to tbh2photography.com. Yeah, I'm going to throw, throw both of his links in our social media. Yeah. Channel. So if you need him, we'll plug him up. We'll help you get to him. Awesome. Thanks for listening. He was a victim of the Murphy charm. <laughs> okay. And was friends with Billy Thomas, who played the original, played the buckwheat. Wow. He was it with the expensive people. I'm going to do that again because I didn't read it right. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Super Friends, already in progress. 